Yes, Buck fans, this is the podcast that takes you back through all the best games, moments, and players in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the BuckPower.com podcast. Now, here's the unofficial team historian and your host from BuckPower.com, it's Paul Stewart. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the final game of the 2021 regular season this Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. It will be the 46th time, of course, they've completed an NFL campaign. It'll be one to celebrate. The division title has long been secured, and the only thing at stake is the potential seeding in the NFC. But it's not always been that way across the previous 45 season finales. Welcome to the BuckPower.com podcast. The Bucks are 19 and 26 in these wrap-up games, but not all of them have been in a week 16. Quick Buck Power pop quiz for you guys. How many of them were not week 16 games? The answer during the next 30 minutes. The expansion 1976 season did not see any wins for John McKay's team. In fact, it saw more material for future NFL films productions than most as the bizarre stories from that year just built up but none more so than what transpired in the final six seconds of that game. Pat Toomey has often recounted how he and the other players had their cars packed up with their belongings so they could drive home as soon as the season ended. They just wanted to get out of Dodge, or perhaps out of Tampa in a Dodge. Now the Bucks were tied 14-all with the New England Patriots in the third quarter, but Steve Spurrier threw his final Buccaneer interception and the game was out of reach with the Patriots leading by 10 as the final minute ticked down. New England got to the Bucks' one-yard line and then called a timeout with just six seconds left. This was so quarterback Steve Grogan could score on a sneak and thereby set an NFL record with his 12th rushing touchdown of the season. If that wasn't bad enough, the Patriots then passed on using Englishman John Smith to kick the extra point, but instead sent in linebacker Steve Sable, who duly converted the PAT. The winless Bucks were past caring at that point, and understandably so. But when it comes to classless moves, the Patriots were way ahead of their time, although as we will soon see, the Bucks would make sure they were not alone in that category in season finales. But 12 months later, in 1977, it was oh so different, as the Buccaneers won their second ever game. The week before, it was the Saints, a victory that got Hank Stram fired in New Orleans, and the season finale saw Don Coriel lose his job at the St. Louis Cardinals for committing the federal crime of losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Gary Huff connected with Morris Owens on the key play of the game. Back it down, seven. Eggins and Owens, the wide receivers. Gary Huff on the play action, going deep, way open, and touchdown for Morris Owen. The fans stormed the field and the goalposts were torn down in jubilant celebration. A very young Nick Puglisi was there, albeit not involved in the wanton destructions of the posts. Or so he says. The 1979 season was of course the one that became known as worst to first. But the Buccaneers, having jumped out to a 9-3 record, had lost three games in a row, all of them with a chance to clinch the NFC Central Division title. 
Chokaneers is what the late great Tom McEwen named them in the Tampa Tribune of the morning of the game. A morning where it rained. And rained. And then rained some more. By the time kickoff rolled around, it was cascading down the steps of the stadium, and the field was more suited to water polo than NFL football. But the Tampa Bay defence did its part against Kansas City and held them to just 80 yards. The offence put together one long fourth-quarter drive that culminated in Neil O'Donoghue's 19-yard field goal and the 3-0 victory, which of course remains the lowest-scoring game in team history, sent the Bucks into the playoffs for the very first time. 19-yard field goal attempt. Neil O'Donoghue awaiting the snap from Steve Wilson. It is a low snap. The kick is up. Good! In 1981, the Bucks travelled to Detroit for the final game of the season. It was a winner-takes-all scenario. The Lions, led by Eric Let It Ripple with Hipple, were 7-0 at home that season, but Doug Williams got the ball rolling early in Tampa's favour. And then later in the game, the late, great Leroy Selman sacked Hipple and the equally late, great David Logan returned it for the clinching score. 13 to 10, the Bucks lead. 13-40, a lot of time remaining in the fourth quarter. Third and 10 for Eric Hipple. Selman putting pressure on Hipple and the loose ball is picked up by Dave Logan. And Logan is in for the touchdown. 1982 was the year of the first players' strike and the season was shortened to nine games. The Bucks needed to beat the Bears to enter the enlarged 16-team playoff tournament and they trailed 23-6 in the third quarter. Two touchdown passes from Doug Williams to Jimmy Giles and a Bill Capice field goal sent the game into overtime where James Wilder had the key play. James Wilder, big hole. Wilder, one man can get him, Smith, and he does. Terry Smith pulls him down, but at the 10-yard line. Wilder rushed for 47 yards, and the ball was inside the Bears' 10-yard line. Then it was time for the smallest Buccaneer of all to win it. Little Bill Capice has got a chance to be the hero. From the 23, he has it. A 33-yard field goal, and the Buccaneers are in the playoffs. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in. I do remember John Gruden's father, Jim, who was assistant coach at the time, telling me that all the coaches got a share of playoff money because of that kick, and it led to them building a screen conservatory at the back of the Gruden house as a result. So to answer the trivia question from earlier, this was one of the non-16-game seasons, as was 1987, which was also affected by a strike and was only 15 games. When you throw in the two 14-game seasons from 76 and 77, you have the four that finished earlier than this year's interminably long campaign. Incidentally, the 1993 season also actually finished in a week 18, as the NFL had instigated two bye weeks that year. The 1989 season finale was memorable, not for the Bucks losing 31-22 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but for the cold weather that hit Tampa that weekend. The temperature at game time, 39 degrees. Windy conditions as well, and that wind chill, chill at 20 degrees. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Tampa. I'm Joel Myers alongside Paul McGuire, and season's greetings to all of you from all of us at NBC. 
time to bring in my co-host on the Buck Power Podcast Network, the Buck Sideline Reporter, TJ Reeves. The only thing that I can tell you is I had been at college. This was my second year at college in 1989. I had come home for the Christmas break or the winter break. And that is the coldest I can ever remember even now being in Tampa at Christmas time. And here was another complication in and around that game. Two things. One, the blackouts were always in place for television. Game was not sold out, so we were not going to see the game with the Steelers on TV. So I remember that. So that bummed me out because I was coming home hoping that we would be able to see the game. You're not able to see the game. And then the next thing is they were having such a power crunch with everybody trying to utilize heat the system overloaded and suddenly Tampa Electric, I'm going to call them out, they're announcing on the media, remember there's no internet in these days, there's no cell phones in these days, they're announcing through the media they're going to do rolling blackout scoop where you're not going to have power, you're not going to have heat for hours at a time, even during the day. During the day and in the evening, there would be two hours where you've got no electricity and no heat and it was burr cold. And I still remember talking to a couple of people that were at that game that were freezing to death at Windchill 20. Highly unusual. And the Steelers beat the daylights out of the Ray Perkins Buccaneers that day. I just, I, I, you've jogged my memory. That is basically what a 30 year old memory of how cold it was that Christmas and the rolling blackouts and the Steelers in the finale. I remember reading about that game about three days later in a British American football newspaper I ended up working for. And I read about it at a Wimbledon versus Manchester United game, a pre-run of the Premier League, and it was 39 degrees on the terraces. And my buddy and I were thinking, that's not cold. These guys in Tampa don't know what cold is. But the problem is, Scoop, is our blood thins out after you've been here for two or three years, as you know. And then anything under 55 degrees, we're weak. Anything under 45 degrees, it's bring the pets, the animals, the plants, bring everything in. It's Armageddon if it's below 45 degrees. So I just remember vividly that was cold, that finale day. The 1994 finale against Green Bay saw many Buck fans wondering if it would be the final game in Tampa. The team was going to be sold and there were rumours of Peter Angelos buying the franchise and moving it to Baltimore. Thankfully, the Glazer family stepped in and Buck football remained in town. 1996 had seen the beginnings of the turnaround under Tony Dungy and it was a rare finale where fans wanted more as the team finished on a 5-2 roll. Carl the Truth Williams had a punt return and touchdown to beat the Bears and 12 months later, against the same opponents, he did it again. Bucks had made the postseason for the first time in 15 years, and the next day there were queues of fans outside Houlihan Stadium waiting for playoff tickets. Both Brian and Joel Glazer, and also Trent Dilfer, went down there with free coffee and donuts for the fans who were just so excited at the prospect of playoff football. Now, I was asked at this time by my former editor at First Down magazine here in the UK, Keith Webster, who I would prefer the Bucks would take on in the playoffs. My reply was along the lines of, I'm a Bucks fan. I don't know how the playoffs even work. 
2001 saw a truly surreal game as the Bucks and Eagles were scheduled to play in a Sunday night marquee game that would end the actual regular season. But both teams were locked in to play each other the following week in Philadelphia, irrespective of what happened in that finale in Tampa. So the game became like a pre-season match-up, with neither team running anything in the most basic plays and every backup in the roster seeing action. And here in the UK, I sat up until 4.30am to watch it, in spite of it being with the awful ESPN crew of Mike Patrick, Paul Maguire and Joe Theismann. That is one game I will not be re-watching anytime soon. In fact, I'd rather listen to Sade than watch that game. There have been some more recent encounters that are memorable for other reasons, including 2010 when Raheem Morris's team were 9-6 going into their finale in New Orleans and a potential surprise playoff berth was possibly on the horizon. So to set the scene on, on this, this is Raheem Morris's second year. You've got a legitimate chance at the playoffs, and we knew going in, Scoop, that New Orleans was likely going to rest their players in the second half of this game. They had already clinched the division. Therefore, they had clinched a home game and they had already clinched a bye. They could not help their seeding in terms of one or two in the NFC in the conference playoffs. So this game truly meant nothing in terms of a result for them. So now they're weighing how much do we play Drew Brees? How much do we play? I'm trying to remember that's Marcus Colston, the wide receiver. How much do we play You know some of those defensive guys? that they had uh, back on those teams versus, you know, we got to rest. We got to rest for the playoffs. So we knew that as a scenario, particularly if the Buccaneers could be winning the game, let's say at halftime or in the third quarter, would Sean Payton just say, we're not going all out to win this game. So I really, I remember that. Uh, I remember how well um, Josh Freeman played, especially in the second half of that game. And again, the Saints pulled Drew Brees out. I want to say, I'm trying to remember. You'll be able to look it up. I want to say it was Chase Daniel as the backup quarterback playing in the second half, and the Bucs took full advantage of it and won the game uh, that day in the Superdome to finish at 10-6, and six, which that game was earlier in the afternoon. Later in the afternoon, the Chicago Bears, coached by Lovey Smith, have an opportunity to help the Buccaneers by beating Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. If they could beat the Packers, that would create a tiebreaker with the Bucs that the Bucs were going to have a chance to win. So we're flying home on the plane, getting score update after score update. Again, in this day of air travel back now 10, 11 years ago, you did not have live TV on the plane, but we were getting score updates on what's the score. And then the, the Packers go ahead and beat the Bears and knock the Bucs. By the time we landed, we knew we had been knocked out of the playoffs on the tiebreaker on the final regular season game. So you win the game. You have the first 10-win season uh, really going back to what? I think 2005 had been the previous 11-win, previous 10-win season. So you get a 10-win season and you lose out on the tiebreaker on that on that final day of 2010. It was Chase Daniel. You're a Buccaneer trivia expert, TJ. <laughs> I'm just trying to compete with you. And I, I remember there were a couple of those games because I think the year before – was when the Saints and the Bucks were also playing late in the year in the finale, and the Buccaneers won two games at the end of the year. It wasn't the finale game, but they won a game in New Orleans with, the, with a team that had only won one game, I believe, at the very end of the season. And I believe this is the case. 
I believe this is still the case that when the Bucs won that game, either it was either the second to last or the third to last weekend of the season, it was the first time ever that a team with only one win had beaten a team with what? How many wins? I think it's, I think the Saints had 12 and 13. Never. And this may have never happened since. It certainly was the first time it had ever happened. A one win team beat a team with 13 victories and the Saints still needed to win that year for playoff seating. So my point is the Bucs have had some success late in the year against the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome. One game I don't even remember also against the Saints was four years later, 2014. The Bucs and the Titans were battling for the number one overall draft pick and both teams needed <laughs> to lose. And all I can say is that quite a few Buccaneer players suddenly developed sore ankles and uh, needed IV drips on the sideline. You must have been really busy doing your injury updates. Yeah. Well, I mean, we knew without saying it, there was no public address announcement. Hear ye, hear ye, we're not going to play our guys in the second half. We knew in the second half of that game, they're not going to try to win. And Jameis Winston went to the bench uh, in that game for Mike Glennon. Uh, the Saints, if I recall, still needed something for playoff seating. They had they had won the division. What else is new? The Saints seemed to always win the division in the 2010s, but they needed the win for playoff seating. So they were all too happy to put a couple of touchdowns on the Buccaneers in the second half of that game and stretch the lead out. Uh, and and look, I mean, the media after the game is is now trying to oh, you were purposely not trying to win the game, blah blah blah. When it's the same media that had been writing before the game, the Bucks shouldn't win this game because it's only going to hurt the draft prospects here. When you only have two wins going into the final game, what are you playing for anyway? It's I mean, it's a similar situation to this weekend for teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Detroit Lions. You've had an awful season. What is winning one more game on the 18th week with the 17th game going to really give you except ruin the number one pick? And the Bucs were not about to let that happen. And let the great debate continue for all time that they didn't win that game, and then they picked Jameis Winston with the first overall pick. Tennessee picked Marcus Mariota with the first overall or the second overall pick. The two first-round picks played each other in their first-ever games in the NFL. Mariota and the Titans smash the Buccaneers. Mariota goes on to have a winning season in his second year and a playoff win. And the Bucs basically spun their wheels for most of the time with Jameis Winston. But all of that set into motion by the Buccaneers holding back, let's just say, here on the BuckPower.com podcast. They held back against the Saints on the final game of 2014. You're absolutely right. If only they'd done that at the end of the 1988 season, because they beat Detroit in the season finale. And because of that, they picked sixth and took Broderick Thomas. And the Lions ended up third and picked some guy called Sanders. Harry Sanders. Sanders. I think it was. I may have misspoken too, by the way. Jameis was not yet on the team. Josh McCown and Mike Glennon were the quarterbacks. And Josh McCown had been playing a little better football late in the year, but they clearly took him out at the end of that game. And you're right, I had forgotten about the end of the uh, of the 88 season and the finale where they won a game that you weren't supposed to win uh, to hurt the draft prospects. I, I'm just grateful that in the present day, we're no longer worried about that last year and this year. We're talking about the playoffs at the end of the year, not ruining the draft position. We covered the 1984 game where James Wilder was trying to set an NFL record and coach John McKay allowed the Jets to score in the last BuckPower.com podcast. The year before, 1983 in Detroit, saw the legendary Dave Warnke, the worst kicker in Buccaneer history. Or 1986, where linebacker Keith Browner even fell asleep on the bench in a game against the Slewy Cardinals. Only with the 1980s Buccaneers do you get stories like that. 
Some other mildly memorable games include 2008 when John Gruden coached his final game for the Bucks, losing his fourth straight and missing the playoffs when any one victory would have won the division title. That final game was to the Raiders and was one of the few games that the mega-bust QB Jamarcus Russell even won in the NFL. Or 1995, which was Sam Weiss's last game, and the one in which he childishly benched Trent Dilfer after the first quarter, having had a running feud with his quarterback. There were some ugly scenes on the sideline as the other players pulled Dilfer away, safe in the knowledge that they would be there the following day, while the coach would not. This is also the game where allegedly Weish wanted the Bucks to wear orange pants with their orange jerseys, and the players, led by Paul Gruber and Hardy Nickerson, rebelled against what would have been the fashion crime of the century. I'm still trying to confirm if this really happened or it's just an urban myth. But the 2021 season is oh so different, even of course though it ends on the 9th of January 2022. The Bucks are defending Super Bowl champions and have won their first division title in 14 years. The Carolina Panthers, they're just mere stepping stones as Tampa Bay moves on to bigger and better things in the postseason. But just like the colourful history of the Buccaneer franchise, the season finales have been colourful enough too. My thanks to TJ Rees for joining me in this end-of-season edition of the BuckPower.com podcast. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast from and tell other Buck fans about this and other episodes on the network. We've got a lot more planned for the 2022 off-season, with many former players coming on to tell stories of memorable games from franchise history. And you can also listen to Jason Powers and Peter Blake on the No Quarter Given podcast, which previews each week and looks back at the week just gone by. That's also available on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Oh,